You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now. Holy shit! Happy, happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host. I doubt this is the first time you've ever listened to a Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, but if you have you have landed on a unique podcast, and I'll tell you why. Today's podcast, we're going to be talking with a guy named Jansen Weaver, and I got an email from Jansen, and he says to me, Dan, uh, I have a lot of questions for you, and I want to ask you, I'm new to bow hunting, I'm new to the strategy thing, and I, I have a lot of questions I'd like to ask you. Do you think you have time? And I said, you know what would be awesome? I don't know if it was my idea or his idea. But I think it was his. He said, maybe we could even record it as a podcast. So we did. And this is kind of a unique twist on this podcast. And um, he asked me a whole bunch of questions about, I guess, beginning bow hunting. He, he has killed some deer with his bow. He has never killed a buck with his bow. And he wanted to ask me a whole bunch of questions about basically what are the next steps that he needs to take in order to put antlers on the ground. Now, he's not picky. He doesn't want to boot and crock it. He's actually pretty realistic. And um, this, is a, this is an absolutely awesome podcast because I give my opinions on what I think he should do. Now... I'm going to preface this podcast by saying I do not believe I am in any way, shape, or form some kind of strategy technician expert. However, uh, I've been successful the last three years, so basically what I'm doing, I'm telling him what I've done in the past handful of years uh, to 
to have that success, to find that success. And I, I don't, I hope, hopefully this didn't come off as kind of like a tutorial, like you need to do this and you need to do this. But more, and this is what I say in all the podcasts that uh, we do. It's you got to take principles that you learn from either myself or the guests on this podcast and implement them into your surroundings, right? You you may not be able to do what a guy, if you live in the South, you may not be able to do what a guy in Wisconsin does. Or if you live in the Northeast, you may not be able to do what a guy in the Midwest or the South does. So you take these principles and you apply them to the, you know, you apply them to the podcast, uh, the podcast, I've had a lot of coffee today, and I'm not going to edit that part out. You apply them to your surroundings, and uh, you make mistakes, and you learn from those mistakes, and and that's kind of what this podcast is about, man. It's actually a really good one. Now, something I'm I'm editing this on a Thursday. The la- today is the last day of February. Uh, this is going to launch the first day of March. This is absolutely crazy. I'm at work today and I get called into a meeting and uh, I think it's just a regular meeting and my boss has this concerned look on his face, really great dude. And he's like, man, the company's making cuts and you two are part of it. Me and another guy from the team I was on. And I was like, oh no shit. Right. And we got we got, you know, we got brought into this room. They let, you know, they gave us our severance package and all this stuff. Um, and I couldn't help but think, like, of my family. First, the first thing that I, I thought up thought of was my family. The second thing that I thought of was all this free time that I am now going to have to focus on the Sportsman's Nation and focus on the Nine Finger Chronicles. And now it's now this is I feel like this is an opportunity to start grinding even harder. Right. And start making the moves that I need to make that I would have been making, you know, uh, later on down the road to, you know, to get out of the cubicle. But. I'm out of the cubicle now, uh, and you know I had to share the bad news with my wife. I had to share, uh, you know, some of this news with some friends and some family. And it was funny because my wife says to me, "I've never seen you more giddy." And this is on the day that I just got laid off from a job that I'd been with, uh, been on for eight years. Now, what I will tell you this is, I'm not going to say the name of the company, but I will say that. I worked for a, on a team of really awesome people. You know, I bitched about my job a lot on this podcast and the Wired to Hunt podcast, but I'm going to tell you right now that I loved the people that I worked with. They were like family. You know, after eight years, you you get to know some people. I met some really good, awesome people, and uh, I'm sad that I won't be able to hang out with them as much as I do anymore. But this is just a completely wide open door for me to step through and transition into another part of my life. And I'm going to do that uh, in a major way. We had a podcast to get to, right? But before we get to this podcast, I want to talk to you a little bit about Deer Lab. Um, you've heard me talk about this 
this uh, company before. And the first thing you need to do is go check out DeerLab.com. Now, what is DeerLab.com? You upload your trail camera pictures to this. Um, you identify, let's say, particular bucks or shooter bucks uh, in their software. And what it does is it allows you to start forecasting deer movement. At least that's how I use it, right? So all this historical data that you uh, captured uh, throughout however many years, let's say you're chasing a particular buck. And I'm going to use a buck that I'm calling Gnarly Charlie. Uh, so the last two years, this buck has showed up on the farm I hunt. Uh, I think he made it through the season. I haven't, I, I took all my trail cameras down, so I can't verify that yet as far as winter, but he made it through the shotgun season. He made it through the rest of the bow season. And, and if he's made it through the winter, he is going to be an absolute giant, I think, in 2019. And I'm really looking forward to uh, continuing this, uh, this, uh, you know, following this deer, watching him grow, putting this uh, strategy together to try to, to harvest him. But what I will say is I'm using a lot of the information that I gather from Deer Lab after I've uploaded past trail camera pictures, like wind direction, moon phase, uh, and so... You have all these locations of your trail cameras. You enter the data of when this buck comes by, and then you're able to look at the data that it pulls in from, like, uh, the, the weather uh, websites or wherever they get their weather data from. You can start to see, check this out. This deer likes moving in, in this area on this specific wind and this temperature or this time of year, and... The best part about all this is it's saved, so all you have to do is literally go in, check out this buck's profile, and all of a sudden, now you are able to identify patterns in movement, and that's going to help me set up on this deer uh, coming up uh, this this up. Yeah, I guess this upcoming archery season in 2019, and I'm jacked about that because, uh, God, I, I, I cannot wait to show you guys pictures of gnarly charlie uh, i can't do it yet but i'm going to and uh, so anyway go check out deerlab.com slash nine fingers and if you sign up through that url right deerlab.com slash nine fingers uh, you'll get a free 30-day trial period and now's the perfect time to do this after the season is over you have all this trail camera data uploaded into the system start a profile and uh and just check out all the data that it provides uh I'm going to be doing a tutorial on Deer Lab. Ooh, I, I, I don't even want to call it a tutorial. I'm just going to kind of share how I use it um, on either an Instagram or Facebook live event coming up probably in March, I believe. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Other than that, guys, uh, another kick-ass podcast coming your way right now. All right, on the phone with me now, Mr. Jansen Weaver. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing all right, man. Just got done with a long day of work, 13-hour day, but hey, it is Ouch. what it is. Ouch. What do, you, <laughs> what do you do for a living? Well, I'm an LTL truck driver. I, I uh, less than truckload truck driver, so I got multiple stops on my truck a day, anywhere from 10 to 15 stops. I run uh, South Jersey area as my main run. Gotcha. So. Okay. So you're out of Pennsylvania. You live in Pennsylvania. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So what's what do you deliver? I I actually deliver eggs. Eggs. I'm an egg hauler. Yes. Yes, nice. sir. Yep. 
So do you get them directly from the, I guess, the hatching or the, I don't even know what do you call it, the chicken coop and, and take them to different stores? Or do, is there like, uh, I, I find this interesting because I used to work in a chicken and turkey kill plant in, uh, when I was living down in, uh, and working down in the South and they would take the turkeys and chickens off the, you know, from the, the farm, put them on a truck, take them to there. And then we would uh, slaughter them and, and, you know, then they'd get distributed out from there. But do you go directly to where the eggs are laid or is there a, a factory that you pick them up at that like cleans them and cartons them? Well, the, the, the company I work for that owns the trucks, we have about a fleet of about 13 trucks, and uh, they are a distribution center. Now, we, we run the trucks to the farm, pick up the eggs, bring them back to the, the plant, and that's where they grade, clean, and uh, package most of the eggs there. And then put them on the trailer and that's what the, where the truck drivers come into play there. We deliver the eggs from there. Awesome. And uh, how many miles do you put on is, on, is your route throughout a day? Um, I average between three to 400 miles Okay. a day. Man. Uh, it's, uh, like I said, we, we're, we're based out of Lidditz, Pennsylvania, which is, you know, it's a smaller town between, I guess you would say, uh, Reading and Lancaster or Reading and Harrisburg, um, kind of a smaller town, but yeah, my, my main job is running South Jersey. So I'm running down to the beaches, South Jersey, onto the coast. Um, and, crazy, uh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you are, you are in a truck for, or you're sitting down listening to radio or podcasts or <laughs> for a large portion of your day. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I do. And, you know, <laughs> you got to find something to keep you awake and keep you rolling down right. the road there. And I just happened to list, start listening to the uh, Wired to Hunt podcast there. Seeing that you opened your own line here with Sport, Sportsman's Nation and been giving that a good listen, too. And uh, it, it's been kind of just a game changer just to kind of get my head around to the point where hey, this is kind of what you're doing wrong, and maybe you should look into doing something a little different, how to do it with hunting, you right. know, bow hunting whitetail, you know. Right, right. Yeah, so so just kind of I'm going to preface this podcast today. Um, what what this email you sent me was basically an idea for a podcast. Uh, it says here, you're 25 years old, you, you were into uh, hunting, uh, you know, when you're, you when you were younger, unfortunately, your dad passed away and, and kind of your hunting mentor passed away. Um, and at that point, did you kind of fade off a little bit because your dad passed and he didn't have you under his wing? Well, yeah, that's what happened, man. I, I was 12 years old and in Pennsylvania back back then it was uh, they didn't have the mentored youth program that they do now. So when you turn 12 years old, you could go get your hunter safety course and you could start hunting. Well, I got one season, one year uh, with my dad. The year after that, uh, he he ended up passing away. And there, there shortly after, I, I 
really didn't have anybody to go hunting with. Well, when I turned 16, you can hunt by yourself in Pennsylvania. And that's what I kind of ended up doing. You know, picked up a rifle. You know, I, I, I'm a big outdoorsman. I knew what a gun was. You know, I, I shot often and um, picked up the rifle. And then there shortly after, you know, I, I started archery hunting. And I killed a couple of deer with with uh, with a compound, but I have never shot a buck in my 25 years of existence. I should say. Yeah. 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 And they can be a different uh, animal, especially. It sounds to me like, are you hunting on public land or private ground? Well, uh, yeah, I uh, I'm majority public land. Um, I was going upstate Pennsylvania to a hunting camp, uh, kind of the doors fell through with that. And then ever since that, I've been hunting public land. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, so it sounds to me like you're, you've, you've killed a couple deer with your bow. Um, you've, you know, you've you've started bow hunting, but now you want to take that next step into something a little bit, maybe in a higher age class or target specific bucks or targeting a certain age cl- class of bucks? Or are you more like, I just want to shoot uh, I don't know, a, a split rack buck or an eight pointer or a 10 pointer or or maybe a score based? What are, what's your what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Well, <laughs> well, man, to be honest, it's uh, it's been a dry spell here, and I definitely, I just want to put antlers on the ground. As of right now, you got to start somewhere, and that's right. one thing that I I really think you know what's going on with this the outdoor industry or hunting in general is there's a lot of people. Hey, you know, why'd you shoot that small six pointer or whatever? You know, if that makes somebody happy what does that really matter, you know? Absolutely. And that's pretty much where I'm at. I just want to get that six-pointer on the ground at this moment in time, me never killing a, a, an antler deer. Yeah. That's a that's an absolutely perfect goal, too. And I think that's something that even I fell into when I jumped back into bow hunting in 2006 was I was surrounded by – content and by people who were have had already made the transition or were only focused on shooting big mature deer and one thing that I wish I would have done differently if I could have done it differently would be to start shooting anything and everything so I would get comfortable shooting deer period does bucks you know small bucks young bucks whatever instead I passed a lot of deer and then the first couple times I had uh, encounters with big deer or or older age class deer I and I was like this you know I was a first timer automatically because my heart was pumping and I had all this adrenaline coming through my body and I, I couldn't focus you know there's a saying act like you've been there well I had never I had never been there before so, right. so what you're saying you want to do is absolutely perfect. I, I think that's a hundred percent the right idea. Now, the problem is right. Just like any goal, you got to figure out how to accomplish it. Right. And that's absolutely. what, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So in this email you sent me, you said, Hey man, I would just love to pick your brain 
about what I need to do to become a, uh, you know, become a, a better buck killer, right? So I'm going to preface this by saying that I have never hunted in Pennsylvania. I have never hunted on the type of high pressure, you know, public ground that I have a feeling that you're kind of hunting, right? So I'm just, I want to cover principles today. Like, here's what you need to look for. This is what you need to do. And I guess that's how I'm going to answer these questions, right? So what I'm, what I think we need to do at this point is why don't you just start, start asking away and then we'll just have a conversation. That sounds great to me, Dan. It really does. Um, you know, I guess we will start out here to the beginning. I mean, even what do you look for in, in sign and, um, an area you're, you're looking to hunt that, Hey, you know, this feels bucky. I mean, this feels like a big buck might live here. Right. Okay. Well, the first thing is, is like, do you're not necessarily looking for a big buck, right? You're looking for a buck at this moment in time, right? right? So, so those are kind of two different things. So what, what I'll tell you is if you're looking for a buck, right? And this can be boiled down all the way to the basics of scouting, right? And that is looking for scrapes and rubs and trails and tracks, right? Do you, do you know what all those things are? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. And that's, that's pretty much in my, in my, you know, years past here, I've set up on that hard, hard walk deer trail, yep. you know, or that, that little bit of a fresh rub. And, you know, that being said, I'm not in Iowa, right. uh, you know, per se, I'm in Pennsylvania. I mean, yep. we have the largest, uh, hunting population per state population out of, I think all the states. Yep. You know. So, with with that said, then what are you doing? Uh, my que- it's a question back to you. Then is are you doing any scouting during the off season? Let's say like postseason or preseason to maybe identify old sign or identify places where deer might live uh, on this public ground. Uh, the past recent couple years here i have been you know getting the family out going on a little bit of a hike you know trying to find this deer sign um i guess i would probably be a little negligent on like the postseason scouting okay it's the preseason scouting that i kind of have been doing here the past three four years um, just kind of walking out in the woods, trying to feel, find that hard beat down deer track or path. And, um, okay. I think trying and, to find that old rub or scrape, you know, but yeah. at that point in time, scrapes aren't popping up yet. So. Right. Right. So here's what I'll say. Do you, do you have snow on the ground where, where you hunt right now? Right now, yeah, we have had plenty of snow okay. here in the past couple of weeks, and we're actually going to get a little bit more here within the next couple of days. Okay. So so here's here's what I'll say. And a lot of, you know, obviously this time of year, deer are a slave to their stomach, right? They have to go find the food source. So they may not be on this, this piece of public ground. However, 
if there's a food source that's close to this public ground that you hunt, this is a perfect opportunity for you to walk into this piece of public ground and look for the deer tracks in the snow, right? And they'll be, if, if they're consistent, you'll be able to find where they're going and where they're coming to. And it may take, you know, a day of just following deer tracks and then looking for uh, deer beds, right? And this time of year, they're pretty prevalent because you, you're, able, you're able to see in the snow where these deer are laying down, right? And once you can find, a, a, let's say, like a thick area or, you know, the, the one-third down from a ridge or, you know, a, a place where there's maybe a, a lot of that and then you also find some rubs and you find some scrapes in that area as well, mark it on, let's say, like a, a GPS tracker on your phone or remember it from, you know, from your scouting and that is a great first step, especially postseason. You're able to see, like, there's more visual cues that allow you to know where these deer are traveling and where they're bedding. Okay. Great. That makes perfect sense to me, too. And, yeah, I just kind of, you know, definitely listen to the podcast and, you know, kind of learning by experience, too. It's just I didn't put the boot work in there. Uh, yeah. You just say postseason to see those type of things you know yeah it was always get the family out in the woods when it's warm you know yeah kind of go for a little walk when it's warm and um find that you know sign or you know yeah. that you can and right. uh that's kind of what i based my hunting off of um when the season came into play right right and it, it's difficult i feel to do preseason scouting uh, uh, there's there's two risks that you run, right? Uh, the one is it's so thick in there that you really can't see anything. And two, if you're preseason scouting in an area that you want to hunt, there's a chance that you're bumping deer out of there and you're already being the cause of pressure uh, in that area that they're living. And you're bumping them out and they're, you're going somewhere else. Right, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. You know, it really does, Dan. <clears throat> so... What else? Um, okay, so you found the sign. Yep. And what, What? okay, just say you have about five trail cameras. I recently picked up a couple trail cameras here. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm hunting public land. I expect some of them to go missing. They're not high dollar by any means. Um, how would you use a trail camera in, in to your advantage? Perfect. Perfect. That's a great question. Okay. So here's, I'm going to tell you how I use them. Right. So on public ground, um, I don't know, like for me, I'm able to take inventory in Iowa over a over a mineral. Um, I take, I take it. You can't do that. I'm just assuming you can't do that in Pennsylvania on public ground. Um, so what I would do is go, go do your scouting postseason. go do your uh, scouting, uh, preseason if you want and then you have these trail cameras right and you start putting them over top of scrapes that you find or you 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 find a pinch point or some kind of place where multiple trails converge or you find uh maybe a rub line that you think is uh, active right or these deer are kind of coming through now just remember uh that all 
all sign that you see is historic data, right? So it's it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be back there. It means that they were there, right? Which is still is still kind of a good sign. So you take all these trail cameras and you find different scrapes, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400 yards apart or or wherever whatever the terrain, right? Some might be on a field edge, some might be in the timber, some might be uh, close to a tree stand location, let's say, or an access route that you're walking in to, you know, to one of your tree stand locations that you've located during your pre pre and post season scouting and you let them sit. Right. And then when you go to check them, let's say it's during the season, you go to check them and there's a deer that you want to kill. Right. Now what you do is you go take those other trail cameras that don't have this buck on there and you bring those in closer to the area where this buck is, is located. And maybe you, maybe you set up kind of perimeter without, you know, without putting too much pressure on the public, you know, on the ground to where you're going to bump this deer, but you put up kind of a perimeter and you bring those trail cameras in closer to where you got the one picture in hopes that now you can gather more information about where this deer is, I guess, coming and going from. So now you have a point A and now let's say you get another trail camera with this buck, a trail camera picture with this buck on it about 300 yards away. Now you have a point B. Right. And now you can say, okay, he's, he's working this area somewhere between point A and point B. And maybe you catch a third one and now you can triangulate his position. And now you have an area where this deer is frequent frequenting. And now you can set up off terrain features within this area in hopes that maybe he'll come by during daylight. Okay. Right. That makes sense unbelievable sense too yeah i just wasn't quite sure you know how to set these trail cameras up and you you talk about patterning a buck you know coming and going from its bed to a food source or you know or you know it's bed to water and that's definitely something i didn't really quite think about and kind of narrowing down that search process and kind of starting from there yep and i'm not the one who necessarily created that idea i i think um god who's the guy uh man i forget his name he's another hunter he talks about uh trail camera strategy as well but he 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 uh says it's like casting a net right you put a big old net out and then once you find where the other you know where where the the deer that you want to kill is living you you make that net smaller and now you cast another a smaller net out in in the area where you just got the picture of him. And now you're, you're hyper-focused on that one specific area, hoping to catch more pictures of this deer in different areas. And then, you know, based off your scouting preseason or postseason, you can determine where in this area that I've established, you know, trail camera pictures of this deer, do I need to set up? And then you just start that process of playing uh, cat and mouse with this, with this deer. Okay, right. Now I I understand that you are a mobile mobile hunter with uh, sticks and stands. And um, now, after you get the trail camera intel, what is your first thought process on picking that tree or picking that 
fresh sign after you start pattering this buck a little bit? Are you going 100 yards from his bed? Are you going in between his bed and his food source? Is it variable, you know, from situation to situation? Yeah. Okay. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I wish there was a, a, a way to say you should do this on a deer and it will work because that's not the case. And this, that's not what I found anyway, right? What I would, what I would do is because you've done the pre and postseason scouting, you know where certain terrain features are. Let's say like uh, you've identified a pinch point where all these, all these ridges kind of converge or um, it's the bend in a creek or a river. Or, or some real steep terrain that opens up to a flat bottom and kind of fades back up on the opposite side. Or a really thick area versus a wide open area. And that's kind of like an edge, right? Uh, along with all the other sign that you've found, right? What I would do is you get this picture of this this deer, and now you now it's time to make a move, right? And you're saying, okay, where do I need to set up at? I've identified some of these spots through my scouting, and then I have to know which way the wind is blowing. And for someone who's uh, relatively new to hunting, I I would recommend the first thing that you do is just access that tree stand location with the wind in your face the entire way to the stand. What What that means is that you will your scent won't be blowing anywhere to where the deer are going to be coming from. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It really does. Okay. So when I say that, I now say, okay, you've set up and let's say either something shows up or nothing shows up, right? If nothing shows up, well, that's fine. You go to a different location, maybe the next morning or the next afternoon and you try it again. Or you see something on the next ridge. Let's say you see a buck come off the next ridge, go down into a crick system or something, and go back up another. So now what I've what I've done is I've I've identified where this deer's coming from, and now I I want to identify how he is using that specific wind direction, right? So let's say he's it's a north wind and he's walking from west to east. Really simple, right? Right. You're going to want to access somewhere along where you just saw him from the south with your face into the wind and set up, let's say, either at the base of that ridge where he's crossing that creek or um, somewhere up halfway up that ridge, maybe on, on the trail that you saw him or on a on a good scrape or something like that uh, where you, you know, where you can identify. You've you've know you know where he's gone. You've identified that, and then the next time, all you got to do is move in a little bit closer. And if he does the same thing again, and you're not close enough, then you need to move in just a little bit closer the next time. And two things are going to happen: one, you're finally going to get an encounter with him, or two, you're going to bump him, and you're going to learn what you did wrong. Right, exactly. And that I mean that kind of brings you know brings back the whole point of hey i just want to get antlers on the ground i yeah. want to i want to start start somewhere and yeah. with with the practice and you know getting harvesting some animals it yeah. will eventually i believe come come 
learn from your mistakes is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. I mean, exactly what you just said is is a great point. Yeah. And um, I never really thought about how to, you know, kind of move in on, you know, getting an encounter with a deer, seeing a deer, then kind of moving in with the wind in your face, and that makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Um, and as you get older, or I shouldn't say older, but as you fail more times or as you get, strike out more times, what you're going to be able to learn, and this takes experience, is how the terrain affects the wind and what what's the wind doing, right? Uh, I could sit here and talk about thermals with you, but that's probably something I don't, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't want to really talk about uh, with someone who's as new to hunting, but... Right. What you'll learn is what the wind's doing, how the how the terrain is affecting the wind direction, and then you'll learn to start cutting wind a little bit to where you you find a spot to where the wind is blowing almost into the direction where the deer's coming from, and it's I call that cutting the wind right. And the, if the deer comes too far down or too far one direction he's going to bust you but the way the terrain flows and the way he's come before or you know other deer use that terrain he's using that wind to his advantage and you're just a little further down so if he continues to come through the area with you know doing the same thing that all the other deer do or the same thing that he's done before he won't catch your scent and he won't bust you right Absolutely, and that's one of, I guess, a trick I picked up from just listening to the podcast, too, that, you know, milkweed is an awesome, awesome uh, asset, you know, just a baggie of milkweed, and I, I this past season here, I, uh, I've i used it, and I was like, hey, my wind's not right, why don't I just kind of pick up and move in another spot, this was during rifle season, but and it actually paid off. I put a deer on the ground, and it actually worked worked well. You know, I, my first initial spot was not good for the wind, and uh, I picked up, I moved, I relocated, and I put put a, a doe on the ground, and it was a great experience, and I learned something that day. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. <laughs> All righty, what do we got next, man? <laughs> um. So. The one thing that I realized listening to your podcast and, and, and Wired to Hunt, uh, I believe you set your stand up to where you are facing the tree and where you are expecting that deer to come from. Is that correct? Well, it, that depends, right? So I think when I when I was talking about that, I I was talking about filming. Right. If I'm if I'm filming, uh, trying to film a, a hunt or bring a camera in in the tree with me, which I don't even do anymore. Right. I don't self film anymore. But right. what I would do is I would go on the back side of the tree, and I would put myself in a position to where I I have the tree between myself and the you know where I think the deer is going to come from, so I can get away with a little bit more movement. Now, that same methodology works if I'm if I don't have a ton of shooting lanes, if I get too high and I have to stay somewhat lower, let's say like 12 feet or something, maybe even 10 feet off the ground and I, I have to stay low. Um, I may put my tree stand behind 
the the tree facing away from where I think the deer are coming from, maybe at, let's say, like a 45-degree angle. That way, if the deer are coming through, I might be able to get away with a little bit more movement uh, with a tree blocking me just because I'm lower. However, if I'm able to get 18, 20 feet off the ground, uh, I want my and – and I'm not filming my hunts – I want to have that tree stand to where I have the best possible shot at wherever I think the deer are coming from. So if that means I'm facing the tree stand right that way, that means I'm facing the tree stand right that way. But when I get that high, I'm usually in some thick cover and I'm not moving a ton. So I'm able to get away with, you know, a little bit more movement just because I'm higher. Okay. Okay. Now, and that being said, um, with picking a tree, obviously you're using a stick and stands, which you can get into a little bit more, uh, I guess not perfect trees. When you look at a tree, um, is there, are you looking for a tree with multiple limbs that you can set up in to kind of break out your outline? Are you kind of just picking whatever tree you think will be, the best, even though you might be a little exposed there, or how do you go about selecting a tree to for your placement? Yeah, that's a great que- that's a great question, right? Obviously, there are some there is some equipment out there that would limit you into let's say like a climber. Um, let's say the the perfect tree has a big old branch on it or multiple branches or it's cur- it's kind of curves or whatnot. I think I think that when you have a, something like a climber, you you have to find a tree that's straight up and down for the most part, not not completely straight. But you have to find a, a tree that doesn't have a lot of branches on it or you'd be cutting branches or a big limb out of it. However, with like sticks, I can get vertical. You know, I can, I can gain elevation on just about any type of tree, whether it has multiple limbs, whether there's a lot of thick, nasty stuff on it. Um, so I, I don't necessarily pick the tree with the equipment that I have, right? So I use a, a lone wolf and I use uh, the lone wolf sticks, right? And I use the assault. So I'm able to go just about anywhere with that. Now, I want to put myself in the right possible spot, right? So if the tree is small or if the tree leaves me exposed, if I feel that the buck is going to come from a a certain area, then I'm going to put my tree stand on the backside. If... Uh, the tree's small and I can't get very high. Well, I want to make sure that I have uh, some good backing in there. Now, where where I hunt, and I don't and I, I don't know about some of the places that you hunt. There's always more than one option uh, to to that. You know, like if I'm if I don't want to be necessarily on top of the trail, I might have like a, a thirty yard window, and I can uh, I can have I can select. 30 yards around where I think this deer is going to come through. And that, that for me typically means, and I say typically because there's an exception to every rule that there typically I can find a tree that will allow me to get up and get in the right position. Now, if there's not, then, you know, the old adage, you just gotta, once you get in there, you just gotta sit as still as humanly possible. 
Um, uh, okay, that brings up my next question here. I guess kind of a, a, you know, where to start overall with, just say, the start of your season yep. compared to the rut compared to late season. What's the differences between those stages in in the hunting season? Right, right. Okay, so this is this is where the deer are doing, they're obviously doing different things, right? They are uh, early season. The, the bucks aren't ready to breed yet. So they're, they are just going from a food or uh, excuse me, a bed to food pattern. And they're going they're They don't typically go too crazy going out of their way. They're not chasing does. They, you know, they, they have a bedding area. Sometimes it's the same area. Sometimes it's different. And then they go to a food source. Sometimes it's the same. Sometimes it's different. Sometimes it's an egg field. Sometimes it's uh, acorns or browse or, you know, it could be one of several different areas. And that's something that you have to learn to identify, uh, you know, hey, here's here's a big oak tree. I want to, I might, this might be a food source come the fall. Maybe I should set up here at some point. Or, hey, I found a bedding area or I found a transition uh, area. Now you got it. It it just depends on like, for me uh, at this, at this point in my life, I don't do a lot of early season hunting. Number one, because I have too many kids (laughs) and, and number two, it's just the most of the time, the deer that I hunt are nocturnal. Right. And in the early season and they become vulnerable as they start getting closer to the rut, as they're on their feet more in daylight, as they're chasing does. Right. So just like any hunter, that's why a majority of people put their vacation time in during that November time period. You know, and we're talking the Midwest in that November time frame, just because they have the ability to see more deer because it's the rut deer on their more bucks are on their feet more bucks are chasing and it's just i don't know just more opportunity at that point right right now what uh, obviously you do your scouting and you, you kind of narrowed the the home of this deer um you believe yeah and so what would you look for when I mean, obviously the rut's a magical time. Everybody looks forward to it. Everybody counts on it. What would you look for, I guess, during the rut to set up and stand? You kind of narrowed down your process. Yeah. Um, are you looking for travel quarters per se? Are you looking for edge? Are you just setting up on that scrape? What What exactly do you do? Yeah. That was like, hey, this is the money here in the rut. Right. So if I've already identified where the deer is at that I'm trying to kill, let's say it's one it's one buck that I'm trying to identify it fi and kill, or it's an uh an area that I've seen a buck in before, right? So it's it's gonna be the same type of areas that we've already discussed. It's just a different time of year, right? I mean that's why they're they're still going to be bedding somewhere at some point unless it's full blown rut and they're 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 not even bedding anymore they're just going crazy right but right. if you if you're 
if you're looking for a place, let's say to sit all day, then you, you want to look for a pinch point or, you know, you've done your scouting and you've identified maybe a bedding area. You want to set up downwind to that bedding area. So that means the wind is blowing through the bedding area to your location and off in some direction that won't get you busted if if a buck does come downwind to scent check it. Okay, right, right. Um, so I guess that brings me to my next uh, question here. For the late season, you obviously um, deer are focused on food after the rut. They're kind of depleted, so we think. Um, and they're looking for food. Now, I got a couple places on the game lands that I'm hunting that, well, it borders some private land with corn or it borders some private land with soybeans or another crop. Um, How would I set up on that to kind of take advantage of them coming to the feed? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I would do, and this is just me, I would knock on that farmer's door and I would say, hey, man, do you mind if I if I can hunt your property? And they would say no. Uh, Then I would say, "Okay, do you do you mind if I just walk through it to get to the public ground? And maybe that's the the first thing you try. And if they say, yeah, that's not a problem. You can do that. uh, Then you have an you have a a really good access route into that because more than likely they're not going to be in the fields while you're walking. Let's say that that field is the food source. They're not going to be in there. So that's a great access route to get to it. However, if he says no to that too, and you only have the public access, well, you're going to want to walk a fen- that fence line or that field edge or wh- whatever access that you can, the safest access to where your wind is not blowing in to where they might be bedded, and then look for that trail. And in late season, it, it should be identifiable either through snow or through, let's say it's wet and there's a lot of mud, right? And you should be able to see fresh tracks and where the, all these deer are piling into you know, if they are piling into this, uh, into this field. And that's one of those things where late season may mean you hop around a little bit to in, in an area, you know, a couple days in an area to identify where these deer are coming from. Let's say they're coming out of a ridge or they're coming out of a, a different thicket or something like that, right? You bounce around to find where they're coming and you just keep moving until you, you intercept them. But one thing that I personally do, I don't hunt the field edge. I go in to the timber 50 plus yards or whatever the terrain will allow or the, the, uh, the, the vegetation would allow me to go and try to catch them at a, a staging area before they go out into the field. That's, that's one of my favorite methods as far as late season is concerned. Okay, okay. Um, and then I do got a question. I mean, with experiences, you know, have you ever, you know, bumped this target deer that you were after this target buck and do, would you just kind of, kind of wipe the slate clean and be like, Hey, yeah, it's done. I'm over, you know, game's over. Or would you try to maneuver 
somehow to yeah, I, change up what's happening. You know, yeah. you bump this deer, you blew him out of there. He might still be on the property. Would you still pursue that, that deer, I guess? Well, I guess it depends on what time of year it is. I'd be more apt to go in there and chase him again if, let's say, he was with a hot doe or it was it was the rut, right, and he was up on his feet. But if it was early season and I bumped him, uh, going to, let's say he was in a bed and I bumped him. There's two ways to look at it. One, you set up that tree stand and then you come back that next morning, hoping he comes back to that bed the next morning because he feels safe, right? That's a method called the bump and dump. Some guy, uh, uh, some guy invented that. I don't know if he invented it, but, uh, he's been, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that have, have found success doing that, right? They've they've bumped a buck in his bed. They set up on that bed, you know, again, playing the wind, uh, set up on that bed, and then hopefully he come he he says, Hey, you know what? I made it. I I made it. I survived that encounter. I'm gonna go back to that same bed. And the next morning he comes back to that same bed. And uh that that's a possibility now if I don't feel like that's going to happen, I would probably avoid that area for a while and maybe try to come back or, right, or go check the trail cameras that I have out, try to see if he's somewhere else, and then go attack him in another part of the farm or another part of the or, of the property. Right. Okay. Okay. And I'm sure there are different levels of of bumping a deer. I mean, if if the deer full blown sees, hey, you're a hunter, you're you're trying to kill me. Yeah. Whereas if he just heard something and blew out of there, right. or you know, kind of saw something but wasn't sure, but blew out of there just to be safe. Right. Um. I I've, I've heard that on multiple you know listening on podcasts. You know, and if he smells you, I, I feel it's going to be over, and he probably won't come back. But if he hears you and bumps out and you know for a fact maybe he didn't smell you or maybe he didn't see you all the way, I think that there's, that's a better chance at him coming back in that next morning or sooner rather than, man, I, t- I can remember a time in like 2011 where I bumped a buck and he smelled me. He was in a different bed. I was, I was thinking he was at the end of one ridge and there was another little jet ridge that came off the main ridge and he was on the end of that one and i can remember walking down that uh that ridge trying to get into a tree stand or tried to get to a tree stand that i already had up and my scent was blowing down to this another little thicket and he was in that little thicket and he he blew at me he stomped at me he he was looking at me he knew exactly where he was and i didn't see that i didn't see that deer the rest of the year okay right Right. Oh man. Um, so I mean, you, you do your scouting. I mean, I think my biggest thing that I got to really start focusing on is is definitely wind direction. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with a rifle hunter, it, it it it's not quite so important. I mean, you got you got quite a distance you can shoot and kill a deer. Um, me getting back into bow hunting and wanting to kill, you know, 
something with horns, something with antlers. I believe that's the first and foremost thing, other than scouting. Yeah, I think to get them. You know, I think between now and the next season, you need to take some time and go out and just walk the properties that you hunt, and almost treat it like a shed hunt. Just walk as much as you possibly can. Uh, and this is something that I probably wouldn't take the kids along with, uh, just because you're going to be going through some thick stuff potentially. You're going to be, you know, going up some steep terrains. But, but look for that. Look for that that edge. Look for those that terrain features that may cause deer to funnel down into a place. And just scout your butt off so that you know where you need to go come the season. And then once the season does start, then you can start worrying about the access to those locations. And, you know, it doesn't hurt to go online and, uh, you know, look at digital maps and, you know, topography. And let's say you're looking at a topo map and you find a, a rub. Well, why is that rub there? Or why is that scrape there? Go to a map look at the, the the topography and say, okay, well, if there's a rubber scrape here, then maybe if I identify other topography that looks like this topography, there might be a scrape there I need to go check out too. Or there might be, uh, you know, something similar to that. And what, you, what you'll see is you, you might start seeing patterns, right? Okay, I'm looking at this. Here's a, at the end of the ridge, I saw a scrape. Well, there's a scrape at the end of the other ridge too, or there's a scrape here or there or whatever and now you're able to look at something and say okay i bet you there's something over here i'm gonna set up here okay does that make sense absolutely does you know and i think that's that's the biggest thing probably in my mind now uh with archery i mean yeah it's harder but i mean what we're talking about Pennsylvania and a lot of other states are like this. When rifle season, shotgun season, muzzleloader season comes into play, I mean, it's just an orange army out there. Yeah. Now, I, I, I do think, you know, me getting back into the archery game or me getting into the archery game because I, I was just dabbling before um, would definitely be a benefit because you can get in there where – there's not going to be so much pressure in the first part of the season or coming up to the rut pre-rut. And I don't think I know that there's not as many archery hunters as there is rifle yeah. shotgun hunters in yep. Pennsylvania. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's what I'm going to say as we wrap this podcast up is, is this, what we've talked about today is a good start, Right. Once you get a couple years under your belt of doing things like additional scouting and looking for sign and playing the wind and and either being successful or failing, what what's going to happen is you'll start to you'll say, okay, last time I tried this and it didn't work, so I need to try something different. Or last time I tried this and it worked, I'm going to try it again, but you know, in this scenario. And what you're what you're going to be able to do is you're going to not necessarily say, here's a scrape, I need to hunt this scrape, but here's a scrape, the deer is doing this with this wind, and the terrain features are causing him to do this. And it's gonna, it will get to a point where over the years, you'll be able to just, it's almost like it's fluid. It, it's, uh, it's almost like you don't even have to think about it anymore. You just react, if that makes sense. Right. Absolutely does. So, it absolutely does, Dan. And uh, 
I really appreciate you discussing everything with me. I think it definitely opened my mind and uh, definitely I think there's other hunters or other listeners that might be, hey, you know, maybe that light bulb went off in their head. Hey, man, I hope so. That's what that's what we're here. And, you know, I am by no means a professional at anything. Uh, you know, what I've the advice that I've given you today is kind of like what I would do in a scenario. Right. I'm not you know, I'm not trying to come off as a know it all. I'm just trying to uh, come off as someone who, um, you know, these methods have worked for me in the past. And, you know, I've had encounters with, uh, you know, these kind of deer in the past because I've done these principles. And I think once you can identify these principles and how to apply them to your specific scenarios, then it just becomes easier. Right, right. Well, I tell you what, I hope I, I'm, I'm pulling for you. Now what I want you to do is I want you to go out and I want you to scout your butt off. And then I want you to go out and hunt this year. And at the end of the 2000, you know, 19, 2000 or 2019, 2020 season, I want you to get a hold of me and I want you to tell me how you did. And we'll have another discussion about what you did wrong or what you did right. Absolutely, Dan. And I'm, I've definitely, uh, got somewhere to start again Absolutely. and I, I i think that's going to be awesome to you know touch base with you after season and and just kind of tell you what happened i think that'd be an awesome thing to do and hopefully i can apply and i can put boots on the ground i can do my scouting and i can i can connect with a deer and then they'll just kind of wrap up the put the ending to the story here <laughs> amen that'd be amen. awesome well good luck <laughs> good luck man Hey, I really appreciate it, Dan, and thank you so much for having me on here. And uh, I, I was just listening to your podcast, one, uh, one of your podcasts here this morning, and um, you just kind of went off about you know, your family and how important it is to you. And, you know, me, me a young, young guy here, I'm 25 years old. I, I have three kids, two of which are mine, and uh, they're seven, eight, seven and two years old, man, and I I am looking forward to getting them out in the woods. And what you said in that podcast at the beginning, at the intro, about how important family is, it's really an awesome thing to hear that. You know, you're a real-life guy, man, and I really appreciate you having me on here. And hopefully one day you can kind of take this thing to uh, full-fledged and you can do this. <laughs> full time and I'm, I'm really rooting on you with, with that direction too you know perfect man well hey thanks again man you have a good one hey thank you dan you too Ladies and gentlemen, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Jansen, man. Really appreciate your time. And it's kind of funny, the ending of that, ending of that podcast mentioning, you know, hopefully you can take this full time. I'm not full, not officially full time into it yet, but I kind of got forced into it, which is something absolutely crazy, right? Absolutely crazy. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time out of your day to download and listen to the Nine Finger Chronicles. Please, if you haven't yet, give the other podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation a chance. Tons of great content uh, on the big game side, on the fishing side, and on the whitetail side. Man, we got we got just about you know everything. 
And if you are looking to start a waterfowl podcast, if you are knowledgeable in waterfowl, reach out to me because that is a void that I'm looking to fill uh, within the Sportsman's Nation. So huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Exodus, Ozonix, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, and Hunter Safety Systems. Guys, go leave a review wherever you download the podcast. You know, if you like the podcast, man, give us a five-star review. That would be awesome. Also, go to social media, Facebook and Instagram, uh, Sportsman's Nation, Nine Finger Chronicles. Like it, share it, and uh, if you want, I think there's a, a, a button that you can click to be notified when there's new uh when there's new social media posts do that as well and other than that guys i don't have too much to say uh, at the closing here be good to one another and uh, if you're going to be in a tree our friends at hunter safety systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness we'll see you next week